What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John J. Stramski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. It's the Ringer Gambling Show, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back, and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus, and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler and visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ringer Gambling Show. Today, I'm joined by Joe House. I know he has a few picks that he likes this week. I'm going to tell him if I think he's right or wrong. But first, let's begin the show like we do most weeks by checking out some trends and what's going on around the league. But House, how are you feeling about this week's betting board in general? Sharpie, I have to tell you, as I was sizing up this week's listing... I was feeling a little underwhelmed. In fact, I did the script for the show uh, like Tuesday or Wednesday. And what I, the headline was, where have all the good games gone? The best game of the week was indeed last night, Thursday night football, the Arizona Cardinals and the Green Bay Packers, at least on, on paper, the best game. And I will tell you, Sharpie, from my perspective, that game delivered. We really learned a lot about both of those teams, I feel like. It was a wonderful referendum on two teams that we absolutely expect to see at the top of the NFC through the balance of the season, the remainder of the season. And as we head in to the playoffs, um, did, did you learn anything from last night? Well, I did. And I'm thankful actually that the Cardinals lost that game simply because um, so many people just ran to the window. Once they heard the injury news of Devonte Adams, just quickly bet the Arizona Cardinals and thought that they were getting free money in their pocket. And I love uh, when sometimes that doesn't work out quite as well and the public sides end up losing. And so uh, this is obviously a big win for the sports books. Um, and the other thing that was interesting to me in that game was the general notion, I got to go on a short rant before I kick it back to you, about running the football and analytics. I think a lot of people out there still don't understand what the quote-unquote 
analytics community thinks about running the football. So I can't speak for everybody else in the universe. I can only speak for me and my data. And this has gone unchanged. And I've been sharing this for years. So if you've been following me on all my different podcast stops, and if you've been following me on Twitter at Sharp Football for years now, you already know this. Take a break, get a cup of coffee, come back in a second. Okay. Here's go the get them. Go get them. Go the get them, Sharpie. Go get them. If you don't realize this, the analytics community wants to watch efficient football on the field. And you know when the most optimal time to run the football is? It's not never. It's on short yardage and it's inside the red zone. And the Green Bay Packers had three opportunities to run the football on a series that was first and goal at the three-yard line. And they passed all three times without their top three receiving options available for them in the game last night. And of course, they ended up settling for a close field goal. We look at the data, we run the numbers, we understand when you're going to have the most expected points added, and those tend to be run plays in those situations. So they're not fade routes to number four wide receivers. They're run plays to your running back, run from spread, lighten the box a little bit, and then run the football. Okay, every coach needs to have a catalog of plays that they rotate through. We're not going to criticize one pass. We're not going to criticize two passes, but if you go three straight passes without running the ball one time with that backfield that you've got who have had success all night long, it did not make a lot of sense. And I made the comment as such. And the feedback I get for most people is 100% agreement. But from some people who hate the analytics community for some reason, they'd rather be cavemen buried under a rock, not watching the NFL. I don't know why they have a Twitter account. These people seem to think that well, because the analytics community prefers passing in general, that every situation should be a pass. I cannot help you guys wake up. That's not what we've been saying. We've never said that. So get a clue. Let's go, house. Let's roll. I'm fired up this week. Get a clue. That's it. Suck it, haters. We're talking about efficient football. Well, Sharpie, one other aspect of last night's game, and we're you know, in in the at the point of the season where some of of these kinds of trends that I like to um, observe in the research during the course of the week start to provide opportunities, it feels like. And this is a shout out to the guys at Action Network. I think it's Brandon Anderson. Um, just noted the the this uh, trend of short road dogs, and what we're talking about is uh, underdog teams getting less than a touchdown have been covering the spread so far in this 2021 season 71% of the time they're 30 and 12 against the spread and the and the money line is 25 and 17 well the 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 packers to hit the point that you made in in your kickoff to this were indeed a short road dog this week six and a half points uh, i think is where that number landed and by golly they now part of the thing for for the packers too they're Aaron Rodgers has a terrific uh, uh, record in primetime against the spread. So there were a lot of red flags up this week about just blindly rushing in to the book and jumping on the Cardinals. But we still have a handful of games that fit this uh, little trend line. And there, there, there are six games remaining. It's uh, Washington getting three at the Broncos, the Patriots getting five and a half at the Chargers, the Titans. Um, now getting points at Indianapolis. I think it's all the way up to two and a half this morning. Uh, the Jags getting three and a half at the Seahawks. The Panthers getting points at the Falcons. I think that's up to three now. 
and the Steelers getting three and a half at the Browns. And so one of the things over the course of the conversation day, I'll be hunting for opportunities um, to get to that 70% kind of threshold with this trend late trend, trend line, assuming of course that this trend line is going to hold, but I know that we're going to touch on a handful of these games. One of which is my favorite. And unfortunately my favorite um, is on the wrong side of it, but let's go ahead and jump into, you know, the, 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 the slate this week. And I, I, Mentioned Sharpie, I was prepared to treat this week as as lemons. I was prepared to treat it as chicken chicken shit. I think I think this is a, is a lemonade with chicken salad slate. Now that I've brother, got, I gotta tell you, I, I gotta tell you that I actually like this slate. Me too. This is actually one of the best slates that I have seen in recent weeks. I know you said that last night's game was potentially the best game of the weekend. I thought that last night's game from a win-loss perspective entering it and uh, obviously the way that it concluded was potentially the best competitive game that we're going to see, but I bet something's going to upstage that. It always does. The NFL is crazy. That's why we watch it every single week. Something's going to happen in these games that are going to make a final ending going to be really interesting. But I will say there's a lot of games here that I absolutely love. I think that it's going to be a great slate to watch and to bet this weekend. I'm right there with you. And I've been surprised even in the, in the last like 36 hours, a bunch of these numbers keep moving and they're moving. I'm not sure. Obviously the Dak Prescott news is affecting that Minnesota Dallas number, but this Tennessee Titans, Indianapolis Colts game, which I think is kind of like the marquee game. Number one, it's the division rivalry. They've already played once the Titans off back to back, you know, just, you know, world beater kind of performances against the Bills and the Chiefs. If the Titans, if we're going to start treating them like, you know, AFC top of class, they have to win this game against the Colts. And on the other side, the Colts, we talked about this before the season even started. You, you, you made a point uh, in week one observing how hard the Colts schedule was through September, how the Colts should be a team that were eyeballing come October and how, just as a general matter, for whatever reason, Frank Reich and the Colts get it rolling in October anyhow. The Colts are on the precipice of being a playoff team. I absolutely love this matchup. How are you sizing this one up? Well, look, uh, this is a must-win game for the Indianapolis Colts. There are, there are certain games from certain teams that are pedigree teams, that are teams that have a good core, that have a good GM that built this core, that have a good coach, and that have lofty aspirations every single offseason. Their goal is not to be to produce a winning record. Their goal is not to simply win the division. They want to win the division and make a run into the playoffs. And I can absolutely assure you that the Indianapolis Colts and Frank Reich and Chris Ballard are one of those teams. They did not potentially trade a number one draft pick to go and get Carson Wentz this offseason. They viewed themselves after their playoff run last season as having a great window right now. And if they can get Carson Wentz to perform better than expected, better than the national landscape thought of him when we last saw him in Philadelphia, they felt like this was going to be a team that could win the AFC South and run into the playoffs. This is a game that they need. And as you said, we pegged this perfectly. 
this is why you lift all them damn weights in the off season. This is why I write a book. This is why I do all the analysis. This is why I shared with you guys before the start of the season that the Indianapolis Colts are destined to start off poorly in 2021. They're going to have a losing record. They're going to drop games at the beginning of the season. They're going to struggle. And then they're going to hit a spot in the season after four weeks or so, and they're going to get shit back on track. Frank Reich always starts off slow. The team, even before him, started off slow. They get back on track with an easier schedule, and they're going to be able to make a run. Lo and behold, that's exactly what's going on here with the Colts. Um, in fact, I believe I believe that they are now 5-1 and one ATS in their last six games. Uh, maybe it's 4-1 and one in their last five. But this team, although they dropped a few of those games and currently sit at three and four, have been exceeding the market's expectations of them. The main thing you need to know about this game, if you're looking to bet it, is that the look-ahead number was the Colts minus two and a half before any games happened last week. The Titans host the Kansas City Chiefs and the Titans blow out the Kansas City Chiefs. The Colts go on primetime Sunday night football, a dome team in the pouring down rain to take on the 49ers who are off of a bye and got their number one quarterback back. And the Indianapolis Colts as an underdog knocked those guys off. And it wasn't particularly close, especially late in that game. And yet they reopened this line when they post the numbers on Monday morning and the Tennessee Titans have flipped to becoming a favorite. I could tell you this, the public loves the Titans. Why? Because the public loved the Chiefs and they saw the Titans whoop them. And secondly, the public loves to play fantasy football. And who do you have on the Tennessee Titans? You have Derrick Henry, like the best back that's winning everybody's leagues this season still. And you have A.J. Brown. And you have Julio Jones, and they love wide receivers. So they've got the wide receivers. They got a stud running back. The public's all over this game. And yet the line has been slowly creeping back towards the Indianapolis Colts. This thing is going to hit three points. Right now it's sitting at two and a half. This thing is going to hit three points. Now at three points, there's going to be some buyback because some people bet the Indianapolis Colts and took the points earlier this week. Those same people may take the Titans plus three and have a beautiful No sweat middle opportunity here in this game. But this thing, in my opinion, will hit three points. I believe the Indianapolis Colts are the right side here, House. I'm with you on this. I I mean, there's a bunch of trend stuff. The Colts, uh, eight and two straight up in October over the past three seasons and seven and three against the spread at home against the Titans. They have a good run defense, the Indianapolis Colts. The Titans... uh, you know, coming in here in this tough spot after those two wins against the the, the Bills and the Chiefs, very uh, uh, impressive. But for whatever reason, Rabel not good in games that we consider uh, at lines at a field goal or or, or less. Titans seven twelve and one with Rabel as a head coach in that spot. And you know, I share your view that the this is a must win spot for the Colts. I absolutely love laying the two and a half. I like the Colts money line and I might even play it's sitting at 51, which I know is a, is a hot number total wise. Um, I might play 
a tiny bit on the over as well. Now, here's the thing. Like, obviously, I first pass analyzed this thing through the lens of situation, spot, value, et cetera, et cetera. Haven't dug into the analytics. I'll do that really quickly. The weakness of this Indianapolis Colts is their secondary. And that's why it was very beneficial, actually, for them to play out in San Francisco in the rain so that the 49ers couldn't attack that weakness. There are concerns here, obviously. This is not going to be a steamroll game for the Colts. The Titans have the passing ability. They are not going to get burned quite as much on play action, in my opinion. The play action, so the Kansas City Chiefs last week have shit linebackers, and they're the number one most susceptible team to play action in the NFL. So that's why a lot of the play action stuff that worked on third down against the Chiefs uh, had a lot of success, right? That's why the Titans were successful in in some third down situations. That's not going to work quite as well against the Colts, but what will work is just early down passing and attacking the secondary. You've got Julio up. You got A.J. Brown up. Last game, I think A.J. Brown left the game after only 12 snaps, something like that, 15, 12 snaps uh, with an injury. He's obviously healthy right now. So that is a concern to me is their ability to pass the ball. I do believe that the Indianapolis Colts will have a good game plan to slow the run game and Derrick Henry down here a little bit. But this Titans team has been quite impressive. They've stepped it up on the uh, on the defensive side. Their secondary is a complete disaster too. We don't yet know if T.Y. Hilton is going to be playing in this game. Uh, we'll have to wait for that final injury reports to come out. But you know the Colts are going to need to throw the ball. They're going to need Carson Wentz to not make any mistakes here. The Titans are going to focus on trying to get pressure up front. They're going to try to slow down the run game because that is what the Indianapolis Colts do best. I think this is going to be a great game. I think this is going to be a close and competitive game. I think that both teams know the value of this game. The Tennessee Titans won the first game of the season. It's kind of sad that we aren't going to see these two teams, which are obviously the best in the AFC South, meet again after This week, week eight, the season is over. The season series is over for these guys. So huge, huge, huge game. I can't wait to watch it. I think it's going to be very competitive, nip and tuck throughout. And uh, I don't necessarily disagree on the total, but that's why we saw money come in at 47, 47 and a half earlier in the week. And just a quick backstory on that. The look ahead number, because I run my models and do all my analysis, was 49. I thought the look ahead, I thought there was a little bit of value. So I'm doing my analysis Sunday night. Uh, My number is just above 49. Um, So there's not really a need to go on the game, but the game is completely off all the boards uh, in Vegas because, and, and offshore everywhere, because the Colts are playing Sunday night football. So they take the game down. When they reposted it Monday morning at like 9.45 for a split second, this thing was actually at 47. Um, Then some other books have opened at 47 and a half and it very quickly took money and shifted up higher. And and that's why the number is now at 51. I don't see value at 51 from a modeling perspective to go over at that number. Um, But but I would lean in general to there being points in this matchup versus the alternative. Okay, well, there we have it. I, I'm definitely playing side and money line on the Colts. I just love the situation for them um, and maybe something on on the total. I am looking at uh, other games on this slate, and I didn't have an easy time trying to pick what, you know, decide between 
what was my second marquee game for all week long. I had it teed up as Dallas and Minnesota. And then this uncertainty around Dak's health, Dak Prescott's health um, has really been uh, rearing its head. And the number in that game is moving all over the place in response to the possibility that Dak might not play. So the game that I think is, is, is sneaky, sexy this week is, is Tampa at new Orleans Tampa laying four and a half uh, on the road. New Orleans getting four and a half as a road dog. The total I see is 49 and a half. And I listened to the cheat code as I do every single week. And I was reminded of how competitive New Orleans has been historically with Tampa. And particularly last season, they beat Tampa's butt for two and a half games. And damn near should have won that playoff game, had had that playoff game in Jared Cook's hands until uh, D'Antonio Wingfield knocked it out of his hands uh, and that swung the outcome for Tampa. And, and lo and behold, we are putting another crown on Tom Brady's head. But there are a lot of situations here, at, like, you know, trend wise um, with New Orleans and particularly with Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston is surprisingly good as an underdog um, for for whatever crazy reason. Um, so I, I'm on the, yeah, look at this. Winston, 18-10-1 against the spread as a dog of more than a field goal, covering 64% of the time. That I like that kind of angle. I just like the situation here. The, the public, we were talking about the response of the public to the Titans, the response of the public to the Packers news. I think the public, having seen the Tampa Bay Buccaneers kick ass all season long and particularly embarrass uh, pants, the, the Chicago Bears last week, and watching the Saints in a tough matchup against Seattle, you know, kind of underwhelmed by that Saints offense, perhaps. Look at this and say, oh, Tampa's rolling. Tampa keeps rolling here. I'm on the Saints. I like the Saints here. Let's talk about it. All right, so let me ask you this. So what number did you get on the Saints, first off? Four and a half. Now, I've seen it as high as five, five and a half, but I, the, I, I didn't move on it until yesterday. Okay. So um, I think it's going to be a fascinating game. Um, as you astutely note, the first couple of games, Brady was terrible passing. The next game in the playoffs, he looked better. But still, when you look at the numbers in the first three quarters of games, Tom Brady in the playoff rematch was not substantially better. The only thing that he actually did differently, his EPA per attempt was higher. So people realize the difference. And, and when I work with various teams, what I always share is multiple statistics for every single scenario that I'm looking at. So for example, if I'm looking at early down passing in the first three quarters of games, I'm not just sharing what the quarterback did from an EPA per play perspective. I'm looking at yards per attempt, success rates, and EPA. Why am I looking at all three? Well, because one individual number doesn't always tell the story. Success rate doesn't always tell the story. Yards per attempt doesn't always tell the story. You get all three, you have massive context and you can better appreciate what was going on there. So in the playoff rematch, Brady's yards per attempt was actually lower, 4.9 yards per attempt than 5.8 in the regular season. The success rate was slightly higher, but not good at all, 46% versus 43% in the regular season. What was different was the EPA per attempt. It was minus 0.41 EPA per attempt in the regular season, which is horrendous. It was minus 0.02 in the playoff game. Minus 0.02 is still bad, especially for passes. That is not good. 
but it's significantly better than what he was in the regular season. That's only because he had a two to nothing touchdown to interception ratio in the playoff game to elevate his EPA. Whereas during the regular season, he had two touchdowns, but four interceptions on these passes. So he threw four more interceptions in the regular season. That's going to massively lower your EPA. EPA is obviously really impacted by an interception thrown or a touchdown thrown. So success rate counts that as just one out of 20, 30 plays, and you either had a successful uh, gain or you were not. So an interception obviously would be a zero for success rate. A touchdown would be a one. You add up all the plays, see how many you got successful, divide by the total, and you've got your success rate. Whereas EPA is giving you a lot more points for a touchdown and a lot worse points for an interception than a regular completion that gained seven yards, 15 yards, or zero, or was incomplete. So um, from that respect, Brady was not actually that much better during the postseason. So to suggest that he suddenly figured out this Saints defense just because he won the playoff game, I do not think would be accurate. Now, they are playing better, and the first two games that they met in the regular season last year were before the bye week, before they kind of, quote-unquote, did some work, figured out some things, improved down the stretch. But the playoff game obviously was not. What I'm really most curious to see is what approach does Sean Payton take with Jameis Winston? He's relatively mistake prone. They just added Mark Ingram from the Houston Texans in a trade, rejoining Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara, this two-headed monster in the backfield. Um, How much will they try to take advantage of just trying to run the football here? How successful will those runs be? Because we know the recipe to beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense is not to run the football on early downs because that run defense is the best in the NFL. So typically teams are going to put the ball in the quarterback's hand. Will they be doing that more with Jameis Winston? Will he be throwing it deep or short? It looks like the Bucs defense is getting a lot healthier. I think this game is going to be extremely intriguing to see the X's and O's perspective. I'm going to be watching two things here. What does Sean Payton do from a coaching perspective with Jameis Winston, particularly early in this game? If the game is late and they're down, they're going to have no option but to throw it a lot. But I want to see how they come out first quarter, second quarter. What's their strategy of the first and second script of this game here? from a coaching perspective. And then number two, I want to see Tom Brady. He won't have AB, but he'll have all the rest of his guys plus his offensive line. How effective are they against this New Orleans Saints defense? So I think this game is going to be a great cat and mouse. Yeah, is is Gronk back? Do we know? He looks like he's on track. He's been practicing and he looks like he's on track. Okay. So, I mean, that that's that's an important element to me of, you know, Tampa Bay having its full complement of weapons and, and Brady having his security blanket, but they have so many weapons. One of the things you, you talked about the cat and mouse of it and Sean Payton in particularly loves being an, an underdog, 60% as an underdog since 2003, but the matchup on defense that um, and you guys covered this a, a, a bit where it seems like the Saints inclination will be man coverage on the outside. They're going to live with it. They're going to put seven guys uh, in, in the box and just be super aggressive on the outside and, you know, take their chances um, w- with Brady and try and put some pressure on on Brady. You know, the, the uh, still the, the, the Saints third in DVOA uh, overall. Six against the pass, second against the run. Against the run, so they pose challenges to you know maybe some of the play action that the um, that the uh, Bucks want want to run, 
And you know, I just I think it's a, a a very nice spot getting more than a field goal at home for the Saints. I'm going to play a little bit on that Saints side. Getting uh, I got them at the four and a half. Yeah, and this is another great opportunity if this is what you're looking to do this week to fade the public because you can absolutely guarantee they have thus far. They're going to continue, especially as this line is dropping. The public is going to come in on the Bucks here. There's no doubt about it. They love Tom Brady. They love him on the road. Why do they love him on the road? Well, they love him on the road because you don't have to lay as many points. If Brady's playing these guys at home with a spread like this, it's close to double digits. Now he's get, he's only laying underneath six points. I mean, what a steal, right? Like what an absolute steal. And that's why we're seeing, I'm seeing 94% of the cash, 86% of the tickets coming in right now on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Another late game, you got more opportunity for money to flow in after the 1 p.m. games end. This is a 425 Eastern time kick. So barring overtime and other craziness, all the 1 p.m. games are going to be ended before this game starts. You're going to have guys chasing losses from 1 p.m. It's going to be interesting. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Well, speaking of chasing losses from the early games, uh, this Dallas-Minnesota matchup um, is potentially, was potentially the most fascinating on the board. We were going to get Dallas in prime time, that full... Uh, the the best offense in football, to my uh, way of viewing these things, um, and and we were going to have uh, Dak Prescott and all those weapons going up against Kirk Cousins in in prime time, but in Minnesota, that raucous Minnesota crowd, Minnesota still hunting the playoffs, and lo and behold, the line has moved oh, uh, at least five points because we don't know whether or not Dak, Dak Prescott is going to play quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. What's the up to the minute current thinking on that? What are you seeing right now? So this has been a um, great lesson in keeping your ear to the ground and, you know, not to, not to toot our own horn. I did not get like a plus one or anything in this game. We opted to take uh, the Vikings on the money line, but I'll throw that out there by also saying that um, this is a chance to get, if you want to jump on board, sharpfootballanalysis.com, 45% off this week on anything, 45% off, use the code GET45 over at the website. But we are never, we never stop working. We never stop listening. We ne- I'm staring at the odds board in front of me. It's something that I'm always looking at day or night. I'm staring at this thing. It's one of the monitors that is always on with me. And we started getting wind that Dak Prescott on Wednesday, sorry, on Thursday, was going to push himself at practice, go as hard as he could go to see how well that calf muscle responded. Remember, he heard it on the very final play of the game before the bye. So we they, they scored a touchdown in overtime against the Patriots, the C.D. Lamb touchdown. It was incredible. Everybody was cheering, excited. And a lot of people forgot that like Dak actually was dealing with a calf muscle injury. And I asked Solak about that. You know, if Dak is limited at all in this game, what are the ramifications of that? Because 
I knew that that was going to be a big deal leading up into this game. And um, we ended up getting the Minnesota Vikings yesterday at plus money on the money line. And here they are today and they're laying three points and the total has obviously dropped. And here's the end result of that practice. So Dak tried to push himself harder in the practice and the calf muscle did not respond quite as well. Uh, they There's big picture considerations. They're coming up publicly and saying um, it's more than just one game. We are in the seventh game. There's a ton of football left to play. We're just off of a bye. He was resting it. Should he sit this game and try to rest it a little bit more? Because the least, the last thing that you want to do is try to play this game, re-injure it, and now you're missing two, three games during the stretch run as opposed to just missing this one final game and hoping that you can maybe hang in there and worst case scenario, you move to five and two, which is still probably as good as they could have expected to be after seven games in the season and now get Dak back for the stretch run. We still don't know yet what's going to happen, but all the uh, tea leaves are looking more likely that Cooper Rush is going to be starting this game. It would be his first career NFL start. It will come against the Vikings. His last regular season pass attempt came back in 2017. Um, What do we know about Mike Zimmer's defense? We know that Mike Zimmer's defense blitzes at a league average rate, but pressures at the number one rate in the NFL year to date. Now they haven't played the most brilliant offenses and they haven't played an offensive line like the Dallas Cowboys, but it is difficult for any quarterback to deal with a team, as we talked about even back as early as week one house, when the Buffalo Bills played the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Steelers rarely blitzed Josh Allen, but got a ton of pressure on him and had a lot of success in that game, confusing him. That's maybe what we're going to see some elements of in this game. And as a result, it's going to be difficult. Dak is great versus the blitz. One of the best in the NFL versus the blitz. Significantly worse against pressure. Now he's still a top 12 quarterback against pressure, but he's not in that like upper echelon of top three, five, seven quarterbacks against pressure. And every quarterback when they're pressured has lower EPA, lower yards per attempt, lower success than when they're unpressured. So he drops down substantially than if he's being kept clean. This Cowboys team still has a lot of talent. This is not going to be an easy game, even if the Vikings get Cooper Rush. I still think this is going to be a very competitive, compelling game on Sunday Night Football, even if it is Cooper Rush playing. Why? Because the Dallas Cowboys have a lot of talent this season aside from just the quarterback position. Now, Dak has been playing at an all-pro level. One of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. His mobility out of the pocket has been great to watch. He's been really special this season. But I absolutely expect the Minnesota Vikings will have more success pressuring Cooper Rush. And this game, as a result, will be extremely, extremely close. Now, from a betting perspective, even with Dak Prescott in there, let's pretend Dak was going to play this game and he was going to be slightly limited with the calf muscle. I could tell you this was going to be a humongous sharp versus square game on Sunday Night Football. Everybody and their mother is backing the team that has never lost against the spread if Dak Prescott is behind center. Dallas has never lost 
against the spread so far this season. Everybody who's bet them heading into this game has been cashing their tickets. They're going to continue to bet them. Everybody looks at the Minnesota Vikings and Kirk Cousins in primetime and wants to vomit inside their mouth. So this is going to be a game that is going to be difficult for people to want to bet Kirk Cousins in this spot against Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys who just beat the New England Patriots on the road and have won five of their six games. But I could tell you, all of the sharp guys are coming in on the Minnesota Vikings here. And that is why you've seen this number shift. Now, last thing I'll say, House, about this number specifically is that this number has moved towards Minnesota naturally. The books have not yet pulled the game off the board because they're super scared and then reposted it. That sometimes happens and they'll move the game off the board and then they'll repost it at like Dallas plus five and a half or something like that because there's no Dak Prescott. And that would be, you know, a sign that they're trying to price in Cooper Rush and they're trying not to, um, they're trying not to, uh, uh, over adjust their number. They're going to put what they think is the true number there. Okay. What they are doing here is very telling in my opinion. They have kept the game on the board this entire time, but just slowly and steadily taking more sharp money. Why are they doing that? Because they got inundated, inundated with fucking public money betting the Cowboys left and right to start this game. And so they're okay if they're taking a little bit of Minnesota Vikings money at this point in time. And we still yet don't know what the status is of Dak Prescott here. But I can assure you, if it's made official, they'll pull this game off the board. You won't be able to bet it anymore for a couple of minutes. They've already been doing their homework, figuring out what the offset is going to be for inserting Cooper Rush instead of Dak Prescott. And then they're going to repost this game. Um, And actually, as I'm speaking, it looks like Pinnacle has just taken this game off the board. They're the first one on the betting screen that has taken taken the game off the board. Before they took it down, they were at 52 and a half and the Vikings minus three. Everybody else still has this game up. Everybody else still has 52 and a half and Vikings minus three. So it'll be interesting to see how this shifts over the course of the afternoon. Yeah, Sharpie, I'm going to take 10 seconds and I'm going to talk while I do it. I'm betting the Minnesota money line right this second. Uh, it's it's negative numbers now for me. But before the the, the game comes off, I, I uh, that was a fascinating description of how this line has moved. I thought for sure some of that line movement because it opened it like Dallas. Uh, it was less than, than, than two. Uh, the line opened this week, right? It was Dallas minus one and a half at most yeah. spots when they opened. And it stayed that way for a little while and then slowly and steadily took Minnesota money. And last night was the big move. During the game last night, the results and the news started trickling into some of our uh, information sources that Dak really wanted to test it because Friday, here's the thing, Friday, today, Dallas does not have an actual practice. They have a walkthrough. So this is not an actual, they're not actually out on the field like doing a hardcore practice. That's typically not what they do. So they, he wanted to push it on Thursday to see what it would do. And it didn't feel like he thought he did okay, but he acknowledged that it's not just his decision. A lot of other people are going to factor into this decision. He wants to be there for the long term. So do these other people. Um, and then he showed up today, and the word is that 
it wasn't responding quite as well. It definitely was a little bit sore. And I think that that's natural. Uh, these are difficult injuries to like recover from just like that. And I mean, if, if, if I'm a betting man, I'm expecting him not to play, but that's not a hundred percent certainty right now. Yeah, when, well, you are a betting man. Yes, I, I have to confess something to you. I don't know whether to hug you or to slug you. I loved Minnesota this whole week. And you have, over the course of us doing this show for a season and a half, potentially turned my square brain slightly sharp. I don't know what the hell's going on with me. I absolutely, I looked at Dallas 6-0 against the spread. I was like, fade that shit. I love the fact that the public... And I, I'm part of it, has been looking at Kirk Cousins over the years in this prime time spot and wanting to fade him. I just really love the idea of this must-win situation for Minnesota. Minnesota is still in the playoff race, in the playoff hunt. They could be 5-1, and one, Sharpie. Think about the two losses at the beginning of the season. A, a tough loss to the Bengals and a tough loss to the Cardinals, both of those could have been W's. We would talk, be talking about these Minnesota Vikings as, as top of class in the NFC, and and really nothing has has changed. You know, their their uh, defense is better. Zimmer's you know getting the kind of defense that he wants, and you know I like this Sunday night opportunity. I was all set to really load up on Minnesota as a teaser leg from the two and a half up to the to the eight and a half when they were catching two and a half from Dallas. But all, all this to say, I still like Minnesota as the side. I like the idea of, uh, I agree with you that, that Cooper Rush is going to be the starting quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. So I'm playing the Minnesota money line, but it's going to be great to see. I mean, well, you know, uh, lots and lots more intrigue in the NFL on a Sunday night game. It's so good. Yeah, and I can tell you briefly that this was a game I was looking to tease as well. The problem was I couldn't find a teaser leg that I liked as much as I liked the Vikings in a teaser leg, getting them up through the three and the seven. And so I decided to just pass on the teaser and then started to gravitate toward how else can we attack this game? And the money line just is what we opted for. So we'll see if it ends up working out. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Let's bust through a couple of these other games quickly, House. What else are you looking at on the betting board this week? I'm sorry to say this. Uh, this is a purely square. Uh, angle that I like this week. It's my favorite game on the board. 
this entire week after giving you the kudos for helping me get a bit sharper over the course of, of, of this show. I'm jumping on the squares play on the board and that is the Seattle Seahawks at home. I think they're currently laying three and a half. Jacksonville is coming in Jacksonville off of a buy is coming out to Seattle and uh, it's three and a half. And the total now is 44, 44 and a half, some 44 and a half, but mostly 44. What a yucko. I'm on the Seattle Seahawks. I think uh, Geno Smith, what we've seen out of him, the public is and is overreacting to the string of losses. You know, he came in the second half against the Rams. He played pretty damn good. They still had a chance to win that game. He went. They went on the road. The Seahawks did to Pittsburgh. Very tough spot. They were competitive. They had their chances to win that game. They uh, just hosted the Saints in bad weather. A very tough defense, and 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 again, they had their opportunities to win that football game. The Jacksonville Jaguars are an entirely different class of football team, and and what I mean by that is they're at the back of the class. It's a garbage organization. It's a garbage team. They haven't solved anything. Urban Horny Dog Meyer is still you know running the show, and Seattle at home with that. 12th man, the home field advantage for the first time that Trevor Lawrence is ever going to uh, encounter that kind of uh, experience. Give me Seattle. I, I don't mind laying the three and a half. I'm going to play the money line as well. It's a square play, but that's my angle. Yeah, I have to tell you that this is not the most square play on the board, as you alluded to, obviously, because why? Well, you've got the public who does not want to lay points with Geno Smith after what they just saw on prime time. The coaching staff is not intelligent out there in Seattle as much as it needs to be with the situations that they're putting Geno Smith in. So that's only compounding the problem. But what I will say is this, if you look at overall defensive efficiency on the season, now I don't believe that the Philadelphia Eagles rank number nine, although that's what the metrics say. The eye test does not indicate that the Philadelphia Eagles should be the ninth rated defense in the NFL. But be that as it may, look at the stretch of defenses that the Seattle Seahawks have played over their last five games. Number three, New Orleans Saints. Number nine, Philadelphia Eagles. Number four, LA Rams. Number 13, Pittsburgh Steelers. Number six, Minnesota Vikings. Now, Geno Smith didn't start all of those games, but that is a brutal stretch of opposing defenses that the Seattle Seahawks have gone up against. Five defenses that rank top 13 in the NFL, four of which, which rank top 10 in the NFL. This is what you call an adjustment to that. This is what you call uh, a detour. Take a hard right detour here. The Jacksonville Jaguars rank number 32. Typically, this is what we would say is a shock to the system, but in a good way. This is going to make the Seattle Seahawks offense feel like, oh my goodness, what have we lucked our way into here? This Jacksonville Jaguars defense ranks dead last against the pass. They rank dead last in rushing the quarterback. The problem is that they are a little bit strong defending runs, particularly on first down. And what does Seattle want to do a little bit more? They want to run the football. They are the fifth highest run rate in the NFL, which has only shifted more to that direction with Geno Smith starting. And you don't really want to run that often against this Jaguars defense because you're attacking their strength and their weaknesses, that NFL worst secondary. So I would hope 
that a team would look at that and say, let's pass the ball a little bit more, but that's to be determined. Um, I think this is going to be hopefully a game where Geno Smith can look a little bit better, where you could get DK Metcalf involved here, Tyler Lockett involved here. Let these guys feel good about themselves. Um, they're playing at home. Put up a good result here in front of your home crowd. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks, obviously, they're going probably nowhere this season, but I don't know if they fully know that yet because Russ claims he's on track to return very quickly, and this is a game that Seattle has a bye week next week. So Seattle looks at this as last game, we have been very close in our last few games. You know that they lost the game to the Rams by only one score. They lost the game to the Eagles by only three points. They lost the game to uh, the Saints by only three points. This is a game that's been team that's been very close in a lot of these games. And I think that they are going to be bringing their A-plus quality effort for this one. And it'll be interesting to see how the Jaguars respond off the bye week, what they've added to Trevor Lawrence's plate and how they approach this one. Yeah, so that that's fine. Um, you said the Eagles. I know you meant the Steelers. You get your Pennsylvania teams mixed up. It's it's a fair enough uh, misstatement. You, you kind of read my mind a little bit here, though. I honestly think there is a path here to these Seattle Seahawks still making the playoffs because of the 17-game schedule. It feels like uh, and the addition of a seventh team to the, to each conference in the playoffs, there is uh, uh, it, it'll take nine wins, I think. And there's a path looking at even though they're two and five, if they get this game against Jacksonville, they're three and five. Now they still have two games against Arizona in the NFC West. They still have a, a game against the Rams in the NFC West. Those are tough games. Um, and when they come off the bye, they're at Green Bay. So that's a tough game too. But they also have Washington, Houston, Chicago, Detroit. Those are all games that you would look at right now and say they ought to be competitive. Those are they're potentially winnable games. So if they can steal one of the uh, Arizona games, they split with Arizona and then you know maybe catch Green Bay in a good spot, that nine-win uh, objective and making the playoffs still a possibility. And that's why when I look at this and, and just think about you know Pete Carroll in particular, the rumblings are, I saw it all week long. Oh, what's going on here? You know, is it time for us to, to reconsider, to consider a different direction here with, with Pete Carroll? I saw some of that out of the Seattle media. I just like the spot um, for Seattle. I like them to go out, take care of business, let Trevor Lawrence uh, and Irby, Urban Horny Dog get their first uh, experience with the 12th man in Seattle and a TCOB game for, for Seattle. That's my view. Yep, and, and you are dead on accurate. Uh, when I was saying the Eagles on the schedule for the Seahawks, I meant the Steelers. And when I was saying the Steelers, I meant the Niners. So the five defenses they played have been the Saints, the Steelers, the Rams, the 49ers and the Vikings. Those are the last five that Seattle has played. Now they get 32 Jacksonville. Okay, House, one more game on your card. What do you like here? I'm a petty better. I think I've de demonstrated over the last year and a half on here that if a team burns me, I look for every opportunity then to, to fade them. I understand, again, this is coming from a square place in my heart, but I can't help it. The Philadelphia Eagles disappointed me in two dozen different ways last week. They came out against the, the LA Raiders. I loved the Eagles catching three and a half on the road. There was a bunch of analysis supporting the Eagles having played a more competitive schedule than the Raiders, that the Raiders had caught some scheduling 
kind of uh, breaks through the first, you know, five games of the season. And that on uh, some advanced metrics, the Eagles and the Raiders were uh, competitive. There was a, a, a real equal playing field there. Uh, th- this Eagles coaching staff, I, I really want back the three hours that I spent watching that game. I, I probably only watched two and a half hours because I stopped watching halfway through the third quarter. But I have no idea what John Gannon is doing with that Eagles defense. They, they He basically vacated the middle of the field and let Derek Carr, Derek check down Carr, throw passes to the middle of the field in that intermediate route zone and let him complete, you know, I think he was 16 of 17 or, you know, he went on a complete completion tear because they decided not to defend that portion of the football field and the Raiders didn't even have Darren Waller. But boy, oh boy, it looked like the the, the Raiders uh, were were just this unstoppable offense, and they allowed thirty straight points to the Raiders after going out as as uh, you know a very efficient uh, uh, touchdown with the opening drive, thirty unanswered points, and I'm off of the Eagles for the rest of the season. I can't wait to fade dumb John Gannon and dumb Nick Sirianni. And, you know, the, 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 the opportunity here to jump on really America's team who doesn't love the Detroit lions and Dan Campbell at this point, I, I ask you every week, Sharpie, you and Solak, Solak expresses his admiration for the good college try that the Detroit lions are putting forth. The Detroit lions are catching points at home against this garbage Eagles team. Let me have the lions and let me have Dan Campbell. Let's get our first W this week, Detroit. Well, I can tell you. When you're about to approach the bye week, uh, there's no better time to be a home underdog, right? Like heading into the bye week, you basically can empty your effort tank out on the field. So this is an extra caffeinated Lions team that's going to be putting everything out on the field. And, I, you know, I don't know if the Eagles know what they're walking into here with that philosophy that this team is going to bring to the table. Now, I do not believe that the Detroit Lions are going to come out this game onside kick, fake punt, off the jump. Why? They're not catching 13, 15 points, 17 points at home. They're only catching three and a half. This should be a relatively competitive game. Those things have high leverage and high fluctuation. If you botch one of those to start the game, that could cost you your opportunity to win the game. When you're a massive underdog, you need every trick in the book. When you're an underdog of only three and a half points, save those things for when you really need them. So I think that they're not going to come out the gates with that. Plus, the Eagles just saw them do that last week. Probably less intelligent to bring it out right now. I do think, however, that we will see a ton of late game fourth down attempts from both teams. We already know the Eagles love going forward on fourth down. We know that the Lions aren't scared to go for it on fourth down. And that if they're trailing, they're absolutely going to try to get their first win of the season going for it on fourth down from their own territory. That could elevate some cheap points in this game along the way. And it's one of the reasons why I've held off betting the under is just because I'm not quite sure the style that we're going to get here. I do think that the Lions offense, though it ranks number 28 in the NFL, which is fifth worst, though they rank bottom 10 in both pass and run, 
are going to find an interesting spot against this Eagles defense that, as I noted before, I was like, they don't, I don't think that they're number nine, but that's what the number is saying here. I was reading the wrong team off. That was the Steelers defense. The Eagles defense ranks 23rd on the season, bottom 10. They're the 10th worst defense in the NFL. The last four weeks, and that's just why I spent a lot of time analyzing the schedules and looking at the schedules, trying to process context, because the way that betters and sportsbooks think about these teams, they got power rankings, they adjust them. Teams don't, uh, casual betters don't look at games through the lens of power rankings. They look at like, well, what have I just seen from this team last week? And if I can even remember two weeks ago, what did they look like then? But mostly you're thinking about what did you just see? And that's how you're going to bet the very next week. And what you've been seeing, if you have a memory like an elephant and you can go back four weeks, is that you've seen the Lions go up against four top 10 defenses. They last played the Rams, who ranked number four. Then it was the Bengals, who ranked number five. Then it was the Vikings, who ranked number six. Then it was the Bears, who ranked number eight. We're literally talking about four top eight defenses over the last four games for the Detroit Lions. Now they go up against the 10th worst defense in the NFL. The last time that the uh, Detroit Lions played a defense that was close to this, they almost beat the Baltimore Ravens, who ranked 20th in defensive efficiency, it took a last-second field goal for the Ravens to win that game. Now, they also played the Green Bay Packers when the Packers' defense was a little bit better back in Week 2. And guess what? The Lions were leading that game at halftime on the road in Lambeau in prime time. So um, I think that this Lions team is going to be able to come out and take advantage of some of the things that you noted, the underneath stuff. Where the Lions want to attack you is running back passes and tight end passes and stuff underneath. Where the Eagles are, their strength defensively is preventing the bigger explosive stuff, preventing the stuff down the field. And so Derek Carr last week was like, okay, fine, I'm not going to get that as much. Let's nickel and dime these guys left and right. And little screen passes that were caught a yard behind the line of scrimmage were getting 12 yards gain. So that's what we're going to see. We're going to see a lot of DeAndre Swift here. We're going to see a lot of Shorter passes that Jared Goff can accurately throw, uh, producing points potentially for the Lions, at least moving them closer to the end zone. And the impetus is going to fall on the Philadelphia Eagles to try to go up against a bad defense. Now, the Philadelphia Eagles themselves have played a number of really good defenses so far this season. Um, so they'll get the opportunity here to attack a defense that is susceptible to play action, that can be thrown on on early downs, uh, that does not bring nearly the level of pass rush that they faced the last few weeks. And it's going to be interesting to see how this offense responds after really, you know, bad performances against the Raiders and the Bucks, where they looked early to start. They looked okay at the beginning of those games with the script. Then once the script wears off, the offense looks stale until it's in garbage time and they're down big, and then they come back and score some points late. Yeah, it's very, very frustrating, and it was frustrating as an Eagles backer. I just have one quick note on one of the observations you just made, which is the Eagles looking for opportunities to throw the ball against this terrible um, Detroit secondary, and it's this. The Eagles have a quarterback problem. I've been watching Jalen Hurts, a lot of him this season. I understand the experiment that they are going through. They have a world-class receiving core and a quarterback who is in first grade. His accuracy with these guys, the separation they're creating, and I don't remember, Solak uses the words, maybe you know the words, the, their, their ability to create separation in close matchups and gain an advantage the Eagles are very effective at that. Devontae Smith, I see Devontae Smith getting himself open on out 
you know, routes, routes to the sidelines repeatedly. And I don't see Jalen Hurts having the physical ability to get him the football when he's open. And I, I watched too much of it uh, last week. And I, I just think this experiment that they're going through with Hertz, Hertz looks like a fine backup quarterback to me. I don't know what the circumstance would be for him as a starting quarterback in this league. The only success that the Eagles have had offensively is him throwing the ball in these short passes, these, you know, speaking of one yard screen pass kind of things. And it was a game plan they executed perfectly against the Atlanta Falcons in the first week of the season. It's not sustainable. And we know it's not sustainable. Sustainable because we watch them go up against some good defenses and not score any points at all, just like what happened against the Raiders, except for in garbage time. So I, I'm, I'll leave you with that parting shot. Um, apologies to everybody on Hertz Island, all the Hertz stands out there. I am not one of them. Well, the one thing I will note for you, House, is never say never with backing a team down the road. So you may be disappointed in what Philly's brought to the table for you thus far, and you may be fading them this week, but there's going to come a time if they continue to fail to perform to your and the betting public's expectations that there will be value on a team. And that's the time to go ahead and back this team. So um, we'll see how the rest of the season unfolds, but uh, I see that you're on the lines this week. We'll wish you good luck there catching the three and a half points at home. Um, <laughs> I've got a look here that I think is pretty interesting. And this game I'm completely fascinated with. It's the New England Patriots taking on the LA Chargers. We got Justin Herbert off of a bye week. I'm fascinated this, with this game for two key uh, points and perspectives. The first one, which we talked about on the, uh, the cheat, cheat Code podcast on Wednesday, was this quote from Brandon Staley talking about early downs and how this team's offense of the Chargers has been limiting intentionally Justin Herbert on early downs and trying to play Superman on third downs and convert these plays. But that's really how he wants defenses. He he wants offenses to have to play against his defense because he thinks that's the most inefficient way to play offense. Um, and so that's why he's built his defense to force you into third downs, to make you try to run the ball, to make you throw the ball short so that you get into third downs, so that you have to convert them, so that you have to keep converting these third downs all the way up and down the field. No big plays. Um, but then I think they're realizing, wait a second, that's what our own offense has been doing here. And it's frustrating that it takes teams into the bye week to figure that out. And I've been on this train and Solek has been on this train for a while. I was pounding the table before the Ravens game even that why can't they see this? Why do they continue to do this? If Brandon Staley is so uh, much a analytics guru that the community is loving and coach of the year favorite, why is he intentionally having his offense play with this conservative approach on early downs? It makes zero sense because Every data source out there will tell you that bypassing third downs is the path to winning games in the NFL. So I'm glad now that they are going to be looking into this after the bye week. I'm excited to see what it looks like out on the field. Um, I think that there will be opportunities for them to have a little bit of success against the Patriots defense. The one thing to note, of course, is Austin Eckler missed practice on Thursday with a hip injury. I'm going to be fascinated to see what the results are in this game uh, on this Friday practice report. Why? Because he was healthy on Wednesday, practiced in full, wasn't even listed. Then all of a sudden, hip injury on Thursday does not practice. So 
today's going to be really telling in terms of his availability. And of course, it's going to be massive if he's not there. He's their workhorse back. He's the guy they throw the ball to out of the backfield. Um, but when I'm looking at this uh, New England Patriots defense, I am seeing a defense that, I mean, we discussed it on that Wednesday show. I don't know that they are as good as the data indicates. They look like they're number 14, 14 against the pass, 14 against the rush, but they have played the third easiest schedule of opposing offenses over the course of the season. They play the third easiest schedule of opposing rushing attacks and the fourth easiest schedule of opposing passing attacks. And now you've got the Chargers who are going to be one of their toughest tests of the season, particularly if this team decides to play more efficiently on early downs. The only two teams that they've faced that rank better than 20th this season in offensive efficiency were the Tampa Bay Buccaneers game that Bill Belichick, the sorcerer himself, conjured up a rainstorm with some wind that limited production of Brady's offense and the Dallas Cowboys who punted only once in, I believe, 11 drives in that game and obviously won in overtime, but had a lot of success, cost themselves a little bit, shot themselves in the foot with a couple of turnovers, but they were moving the ball up and down the field. Now, I know Bill says that the Patriots defense is getting a little bit healthier here and that Mike Williams may not be quite at 100%. Mike Williams has practiced in full the last couple of games, the last couple of days off of the bye week. We'll see how good of a shape he is come Sunday. I get, I'm guessing that's going to be a concern for Bill if Mike is healthy. And uh, I think this Chargers team is going to have some success. But on the flip side, I'm really fascinated to see this Patriots offense here because they intentionally tried to open it up last week against the Jets, throw the ball a little bit deeper. That's okay when you've got the worst secondary in the NFL of the Jets playing defense. That's going to be a problem when you're going up against the Chargers defense. But, and this is a big old but, that's not how you beat the Chargers. And the Patriots are actually built perfectly to beat the Chargers. And that is... The Chargers have the worst run defense in the NFL. When you got a rookie quarterback going on the road, what's the number one thing that you want to do? What's his best friend? I love tight end passes. That's like the second best friend. The number one best friend is a decent run game that you can lean on. And I think that the rate, the uh, Patriots are going to have some success running the ball on this Chargers run defense who ranks dead last in the NFL and allows some of the most explosive gains in the NFL. And then the thing is that the Chargers also they rank dead last in first down passes thrown within 15 yards of the line of scrimmage. Again, they're trying to build a roof on you, as Ben says, keep things from going over the top, but you can throw the ball underneath on these guys, and they are the worst defense in the NFL preventing those passes on first downs. I believe Mac Jones is going to have his choice here. It's 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 not a trick or a treat. It's a treat and a treat. He can take the treat of <laughs> handing the ball off to the running back. He can take the treat of the short pass. I expect they're going to have some success regardless of what they do, which is why my look in this game was to bet the over here. Now, the line has obviously shifted. I took 47 and a half. Everybody who is a client of ours got 47 and a half earlier this week. The number is now up to 49. There's a couple 49 and a halfs. I still am not adverse to going over 49. I would just reduce the unit size a little bit, but I see points here. The only concern I see from the production standpoint is something Ben mentioned, which is if there's a lot of running from the Patriots and they're draining the clock too much, that could limit the offensive points that total on the board by the end of the game. Uh, but because I believe the Chargers 
allow so many explosive runs. I think these runs are still going to gain enough yardage, at least enough of these runs to produce enough points on the scoreboard. And the Chargers actually, here's the other interesting element to this house. When you got a defense that's bad against the run and you got a defense that's bad on short passes, you know where that's really going to show up? You know where that's... Yeah, the red zone. The red zone, baby. The red zone, 100%. Third down's in the red zone. That's what where offenses... Offenses don't want to throw deep on third down. They want to run the ball or throw the ball short. Offenses in the red zone don't have enough field space to throw the ball 30 yards. They're on the 10-yard line. They just want to throw the ball short or run the ball. And that's why the Chargers rank bottom seven in both third down defense and red zone defense. So unless Brandon Staley's worked up some magic of his own, conjured up some things, I think this Patriots team is going to have success on first down. I think they're going to have success on third down and inside of the red zone to do enough to put up some points. And there's been some very sharp money that has come in on the New England Patriots in this game. The line opened at around six. This thing is now down to four and a half or four points. So um, some sharp money has been backing the Patriots. To me, that is speaking to the fact that this offense is going to have some success here. And as a result, I think the over does make even more sense considering that the money is coming in on the Patriots. Yeah, I, uh, again, I'm just so shocked. I'm on the sharp side as well. I love New England catching points. I liked it better when it was six and I liked it fine when it was five and a half down to four. Still feels like too much. I don't want to... Uh, overindulge the pod father Bill Simmons too much. He was in both of our ears during this week uh, about New England coming out to LA and how LA, there's no home field advantage at all for the Chargers. There'll be 50,000 mass holes there. It, it, that is a SoFi stadium uh, yucking it up. Uh, and this, in some respects, feels like, for all the reasons you just mentioned, a bit of a Mac Jones measuring stick game. I can't. I, in the research, I, I encountered somebody using that term. I really like it because of the opportunities that he's going to have. This is, you know, a, a very good referendum on him as a potential game manager kind of quarterback, which is what New England has been kind of, of building out this season conceptually with him and you know the 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 running game that the pats are, are going to be able to establish does create opportunities for short passes tight ends for for play action for all kinds of stuff that should be um helpful to to New England and you know a, across a bunch of analytic categories you and Solak touched on this these teams are pretty damn even so give me the extra point and a half above uh, home field in an instance where they're basically playing on a neutral field anyhow. I'm feeling the side on this one, but I understand I jumped on the total when it was 47 and a half because I am uh, not just uh, a fan, I am a client. Well, I love that house. And you're you're not wrong about your love for the Patriots here. I mean, obviously you're you're joining the sharp community on that one, uh, plus Bill, and you're riding with the uh, the Pats here. And every point that you made makes a ton of sense. I think the public perception of the Patriots, even though they just destroyed the Jets, is relatively low. And that's solely because they, they, they started out with only one win, and that came against the Jets in their first four games. Okay, They almost lost to the Houston Texans. Their biggest games that have been on national TV... They've lost to the Bucs and they lost to the Cowboys. Forget the fact that they were close in those games. Forget the fact that they covered the spread in both those games. 
the perception is that they, well, actually they didn't cover the spread against the Cowboys, but that was ridiculous. Um, the yeah. perception is that this bad beat, bad beat, terrible beat, but the perception is that this team is worse than what it really is. I think people are very high still, of course, on the Chargers. The crushing loss to the Baltimore Ravens is a distant memory. They've seen a team that rattled off three straight wins before that and uh, had the quarterback that was just super impressive. And I think that that's where everybody was coming in. Um, All right, House, we got to move on to exotics real quick before we let everybody go. What do you got for us this week? Yeah, so I'm staying away from the teaser angle altogether this week. You you touched on it earlier in the show. We just couldn't come up with with good angles on it. And as you have taught over the course of the show, if if we're not moving through key numbers, then, then it doesn't make any sense. There's no return on investment of just blindly playing teaser legs. So I'm on uh, a couple different money li- money line parlays and and these are big favorites mixed with little favorite uh uh parlays. I have the the Bills, the Rams, the Bengals and the Seahawks. The Bills, Rams and Bengals all super duper super public. The Bills are are up against Miami. The Rams are against Houston. The Bengals are against the Jets. And then the Seahawks, I laid out the reasons why I think they're going to win. It's a very modest you, the return on investment. You put down one unit. The return is is you know around plus 120, 119, 120. Very easy. Not not really uh stretching our, our, our ourselves out there too much. We have to like be a little bit to me, with my bankroll, I took it on the chin last week with the Chiefs. Had a had a had a thesis with the Chiefs, and they really let me, and I think they let America down. Not bouncing back against the Titans last week, so I just want something simple, something right that's right out there in front of us. Which of those legs of uh, that's just a four leg money line parlay? Which one of those um, do you think is going to cause me some trouble? One thing to know for everybody at home. The Houston Texans were thought to maybe get back Tyrod Taylor for this game, but he is not going to be back. So once again, uh, we are dealing with the rookie starting this game. So that should make that leg a little bit more attractive with regard to the Rams. I, I don't dislike this one. I think sometimes people get too infatuated with throwing a lot of muck together to get high payouts and that's all they see being tweeted out and Having a, a a bet that you feel really confident in, that you don't need any massive long shots to come through for you, I think sometimes makes a lot of sense. So this one, the payout is not over the top, but the reality is of the games that are in question, you really only have one. This is basically a different way to take the Seahawks money line, but get plus money on it. So I don't mind it. Hey, look at that. Even when I try to get square, it's a little bit sharp. Thank you, Warren Sharp. <laughs> what a good week this had turned out to be. We thought this might be a short show. You know, we're not really capable of short shows here on the Friday Ringer NFL Gambling Show. Uh, thanks thanks for all of the good insight, Sharpie. You got it, House. And that'll wrap it up. Thank you to everyone for listening. We'll be back on Monday with Chris Vernon to review everything for the weekend. Thanks to Joe House for joining me to going over his betting card. I hope you guys learned some things from it. Maybe tail a few winners from House. Thanks to Mike Wargon and Craig Holbrecht for producing the show. We will see you guys on Monday. Best of luck with all of your action this weekend. Let's make it another winning week.